Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to come and hear your word, Lord. Give us uh, ears that are open to hear. And I pray that through Abigail, you will speak, Lord. Give her mm. boldness and courage uh, and that she will just be sensitive to your spirit as you lead her now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Hey, everybody. My name is Abby. Um, it's been really good to get to know some of you. Um, why don't we get this chat going? Because I need the chat to work. Um, why don't you put something in the chat, the craziest thing that has happened to you this week? It could be you bumped into someone ages it could be god answered a prayer that you forgot you prayed that happens a lot to me um or maybe you've just had a really really crazy dream let's get this chat going so i want to take this opportunity as well before i start to say a massive thank you to everybody who was involved with the pat lunches program um, whether that was through delivering again i got to know quite a few of you we had some laughs I'm trying to squeeze into little spaces and everything. It was great. Um, or maybe you were someone who was making the sandwiches. Again, that was really good help. And financially, we've had so many um, weeks where we didn't know if we could afford to carry on. And God has provided through you guys and through others, which we were so, so blessed about. Um, and also through prayer. You know, there are so many conversations that we've had on the door. And I don't think they would have gone the way they did without your guys in prayer. So I just want to thank you guys for that. So before I start, I want to do a little game with you guys. This is why I need you to be on the chat. Um, on your screens will come um, a picture, a couple of pictures, and I want you to tell me what the first thing is that you see, the very first thing. So could I have one, please? Perfect. What do you see? What is the very first thing that you see, the very first thing. The people in the room can shout out at me as well. <laughs> yep, a young lady. An old lady. <laughs> Brilliant. There is actually an old lady and a young lady there. The old lady's you could kind of, her, the young lady's chin is the old lady's nose, if that makes any sense. But it took me ages to actually figure out that it was an old lady as well. Next one, please. <laughs> okay, what do you see here? First thing that you see? Duck? Rabbit? Yeah, brilliant. There is a duck and there is a rabbit there. Um, you've got where the duck's um, nose is, is the rabbit's ears. Um, next one, please. What do you see here? A lady's face, yep, there's something else in there as well. Yeah, someone playing the saxophone. So you've got the lady and you've got the saxophone on the left-hand side as well. Two more. What do you see here? Tiger, anything else? Trees, yep, <laughs> it is as obvious as that. You can see some trees there, and the trees make a shape into a tiger. The last one. What do you see here? Yes, there is a small deer, deer if that makes sense, and a deer that is made out of trees. So I know that a lot of you have probably already seen 
pictures and already knew the answer to those pictures. Um, but there was a very simple point that I wanted to bring to you for that. And that point was that we tend to see isn't always the whole picture. Talk about today with one simple question. And that is still nothing. And we're going to look at Elijah in uh, 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46. But before we get there, I want to give you a quick preview to Elijah's life. Um, so he told the king that there was going to be a famine. Um, he then went away and God provided him food through ravens, which I find really, really funny because I was always told as a child not to eat off the floor. I was never told not to accept food off ravens. Um, another prime example is the fact that I was always told not to talk to strangers. I was never told not to talk to donkeys. So there are many little um, nuggets in the Bible like that that I just find really funny. Um, so back to Elijah, he then met a widow. She then got her very own miracle. Then the widow's son died. Elijah then brought him back to life. And then God is telling him to go back to the king Ahab. Obviously, this all happened over a couple of years. It didn't just happen in the five seconds that it took me to tell you it. Um, but this is where we come in in chapter 18. So you have this whole scene between the prophets of Baal and Elijah trying to prove whose God is better. Um, you have this scene of if you're one of your languages is sarcasm. You get along very well with Elijah. We see this in verse 27. It says, At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is asleep and must be awoken. Elijah was making fun of them. And of course, nothing happened. And it was Elijah's turn. And Elijah just took that one step further just to prove that his God was God. And he poured three lots of water over his altar. That's how much confidence he had that God was going to show up. I want to ask a quick question. You don't need to put this in the chat. This is just between you and God. Um, how many jars of water, as it were, how many jars of confidence do you have that God is going to show up in your life? Maybe it is one, maybe it's two, maybe it's four, eight, 16, um, whatever it may be. It may be depending on whether you've had a good sleep. It might depend on what kind of season you're in. It might even depend on the people around you. Or you may not even be at any jars yet. And that is completely and utterly fine as well. That is your journey with God. And I'm sure that is going to be part of your testimony very, very soon. And of course, going back to Elijah, God shows up in a great way. And this is where we come in at verse 41. So it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. I quickly want to stop there, because whenever I think of food, I think of celebrating, I think of relaxing, I think of um, having a party with people. And I love the fact that Elijah told the king to go eat and to drink. We need to remember that they were still in a famine at this point. But Elijah told him to go and relax and to eat and to drink. Carrying on, verse 42, it says, So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. 
And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servants, Go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. There is nothing. Elijah, first off, positioned himself where he could not get distracted. He had his face in between his knees and he got his servant to do all the work. This poor servant going up and down trying to look for a sign of rain. But that's important. We need to have people around us who can keep watch with us whilst we keep focus on what we need to keep focused on. And this happened six times. So again, this servant must have had their cardio for the day. Um, But I don't want you guys to stop at six. I want to ask you another question as well. What does your six actually look like? Maybe it is six times you've prayed for somebody, you've prayed for a situation. Maybe it's the sixth time. Maybe it's 60 years worth of praying. That's a massive jump. Um, Whatever it may be, do not stop at six. We have Another prime example of Naaman. Naaman was a well-known general. He was well-respected, but he had leprosy. And he went all the way to Elisha to try and get healed. He had heard that he could heal. And Elisha doesn't even come to the door to him. Um, I would be very, very irritated by that as well. Um, In fact, he sends his servant to tell him to go and dip himself seven times in the river Jordan. And of course, he went off in a huff. I don't blame him. I would do that. I might have thrown something as well, depending on what day I've had. Um, But he went off, and again, he had the right people around him to challenge him on his behavior. They basically said, look, if Elisha told you to do something big, wouldn't you have done it? So why aren't you doing this simple thing? You've come so far to get healed, and yet you're just going to walk back on yourself. So he went into the River Jordan, and I can imagine he probably huffed and puffed about it like a child, um, and he was probably up to six. No, let's do three. He was up to three, and he was probably doubting this whole situation. But we also need to remember that this was a public space as well, which means his servants weren't the only ones there. It means that people were walking past. It means that people would have probably recognized him. Like I said, he was a well-known general. They may have seen some spots about We don't particularly know, or they just thought he was going crazy, Um, not quite dipping himself in there seven times. He wasn't stupid. He could have probably seen people glancing at him and questioning and whispering, but he carried on going to seven. And that's when he got his miracle. Going back to Elijah, at the end of verse 43, it says, and he said, go up again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, this is the servant, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, this is Elijah, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down, lest the rain stop you. When you get your answer to prayer, don't stop there. Verse 45, and a little while the heavens grew black with cloud and rain sorry, wind. And there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garments and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I love this because Elijah runs. He gathers up his garments and he is ready 
to receive what he has been praying for, what he has been waiting for, what he has been hoping for. But of course, it does not stop there with his journey, with his doubts, with his worries, with his fears, with his story. Just like us, there is always another battle around the corner, but we are not fighting it alone. I just want us to go to John 14, 1, 6. And this is something that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If this was not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you will also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas pipes up. I love Thomas. He is the person in the class who asks the question that nobody wants to ask, but everybody wants to know the answer to. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In this case, Jesus was the literal answer. In our times where we feel lost, in the times where we seem that nothing is changing around us, we need to remember that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is the person that we need to get excited about. He is the person we need to run to. He is the person that we need to talk about. And in this, there are so many glimpses of hope. I want to share one of the craziest things that happened to me this week. Um, it was on Monday, and I ended up hurting my foot on a run. Um, I knew running was bad for you. And um, I was worried that we weren't able to deliver the sandwiches because um, I was hopping around um, the back hall. And Tracy, if you guys know Tracy, she's awesome. And um, she texted me because she was meant to be delivering, we, delivering with me. And she had no idea what had happened. No idea. And she texted me and she said, oh, um, me and my husband are going to deliver the sandwiches. And the relief, like, I can't explain to you the relief that just came over on me. And um, I was almost in tears, half with pain and half with um, gratitude. And I texted her and I told her the whole story. And we praised God together. And it was great. Um, so things like that, little things that we need to be aware of that is going on in our lives. And to finish off, I want to share a great promise. It's in Jeremiah 29, 12, not 11, although 11 is good too. Um, 12 to 14, it says, then you will call on me and I will come oh, and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. If we seek God with all of our hearts, not half, not a quarter, not a sixth, with all of our hearts, then we will find him. Not because he was ever lost, but just simply because we weren't focused when things seem like they are staying the same and that nothing is moving, we need to remember that there are things going on in the background. God bless. Well, thanks, Abigail. Or Abby, sorry. <laughs> Clearly that was a... It's not Abigail, it's Abby. Um, let's take, take a moment just to respond to that and just see 
And just ask God, is there anything that you've grown weary in kind of persisting in? Because I think that was really what was coming through for me anyway, was to not grow weary and just keep seeking God for those things. Again, maybe it's six times, maybe it's 60, and maybe it's 60 years, but just to keep pursuing that. So let's just spend a moment before God and just, again, if there's anything you've grown weary in, just kind of giving that thing to God again, that you might have a fresh wind in seeking him for it. Just think of the, the song we sang earlier. It said, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. He is the giver of life. Lord, and if we become downcast, Lord, if we become despondent and doubting, if we just don't know the way ahead, Lord, may we in this moment lift up our eyes to you because you are the giver of life. Lord, and give us patience, Lord, for those things that are not yet. Lord, the thing that we might be waiting for, give us patience, Lord, and, and help us to keep looking to you, Lord, in all circumstances. We just pray for those things to come to pass, that your will, Lord God, that your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, may we also align our heart's desires with yours so that we wouldn't ask amiss, but we'd ask for those things that you have put within our heart. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful, that you never leave us, you'll never forsake us. You hear our prayers, and that is such a wonderful thing this morning, that you are the God who hears. You hear our cries. Lord, you are not distant, but you are close to us this morning. We can trust in you. Amen. Amen. So, um, it was, I think it was very good as well, Abigail, that, also Abby, we'll get there, we'll get there. Uh, Abby, you kind of got the chat moving. Well done for that. Um, lots of participation there, well done. I was thinking earlier during worship how you can speak in tongues in the chat, but I think that must be just like typos and stuff like that. Um, so I, I didn't do that. Um, but it's really great seeing that engagement and we can't wait till we can uh, engage more as a church together in person again. Um, kind of last minute, I, I was kind of just asked if there was anything to sh I could share this morning as well. And I had a lot of back and forth with the Lord in terms of there are lots of going on in my head, um, as they probably always are, um, although equally I'm reading, at the moment I'm reading through Numbers, just come out of Leviticus, so again, looking for inspiration for sermons in that is sometimes a bit hard, there is some stuff though, but there was a, a verse that kept on coming back to me, and it's in Proverbs 9, chapter 10, and it said, it says, for the beginning, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that was just on my mind. And last night I was sitting uh, out with Samuel, my son. Uh, we were sitting outside in the garden. We had a fire pit going and we were roasting marshmallows, uh, which was good fun. And, and I was, again, just kind of, as we sat there sometimes quietly, I was just praying about this. And then I looked onto the Bible app and actually that verse, Proverbs 9.10, uh, was the verse of the day yesterday. So I just took that as a bit of a confirmation that this was what God was kind of wanting just to share as well. And it was interesting that as I, I looked at the fire pit, 
that I kind of, God was speaking to me through, about the world. Think about fear, when you think about particularly the fear of the Lord, what that reaction creates in you. Um, and I almost thought for a moment, well, what if I change of that verse for the fear of the Lord into the fear of fire? Is wisdom. Because in some respects, particularly when you're dealing with a seven-year-old uh, with an open flame, um, there has to be a certain element of fear or um, wisdom. And so actually with fire, the moment we uh, understand what fire is, we need some wisdom in how to interact with it. So again, you've got a nice fire pit to contain the fire. You've got, um, you know, you, I tell my son, don't go too close, be careful of this. So you te train him in how to interact with the fire because fire out of control, is obviously very dangerous and very scary. But actually, when you understand it, when you have a right fear, you can then use it and interact with it. I was thinking like the same with electricity. Um, I don't know if you've got one, but I've got one of these like uh, pens that you put on the wire and it tells you if the wire is live or not. Um, and the amount of times before I do any electrical work, I just check and then check again and then check again just before... <laughs> When I'm about to touch this wire, there's always a moment of fear in me because I know the power of electricity and I've experienced that in a bad way as well. Um, but actually, when we begin with a fear of the Lord, it brings wisdom. But when we often think about fear, we can have a very negative reaction. Fear is not a very positive word in this day and age. We should overcome fear. Um, but I want to read a few verses. And again, this is, these are all from the book of Proverbs. Uh, and if you don't know, the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, a lot of it written by King Solomon, who was the wisest man ever. So I think um, if, we're gonna, if we want wisdom, which I hope you do, then you should heed the words in the book. Uh, so, for example, Proverbs 3, and this is chapters, uh, verses 7 and 8. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So fearing the Lord leads to turning away from evil and brings healing and refreshment. That's a good thing. Okay, if we go on to chapter, Proverbs chapter 14. And chap, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has confidence and his children will have a refuge. In 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So again, the fear of the Lord brings security and it brings a fountain of life. Again, that sounds pretty good to me. And then the last one I'll read to you, there's many others, but 19, chapter 19 and verse 23. It says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. And so, so if we think about this phrase, the, the fear of the Lord, again, maybe your reaction is a bit kind of, well, how can I fear God? How can I, you know, how does this work? Isn't fear bad? Shouldn't I be delivered from fear? But we need to accept, again, accept this as a premise, that the fear of the Lord is a good thing can come to understand what that means but ultimately we need to recognize and believe that the fear of the Lord is a good thing it brings 
healing, it brings restoration, it brings a fountain of life, it brings security, all these things. But we often reject fear because um, it doesn't give us this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. We live in an age uh, and in a society where we, anything that doesn't give us warm fuzzies, we, we like to get rid of. But actually, fear can be really powerful and productive, if right, in our life. And so, as I thought about this, I thought the essence of fear is about who or what we come under. So think about this in different ways in your life. Um, what do you fear? I don't know if you've got any fears in your life. Um, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and so there can be a lot of fear around kind of COVID. There can be fear, people have fears around vaccinations. But maybe you've got a more traditional fear. Um, Joshua, my other son, asked me recently, Dad, what, what are you afraid of? And generally nothing, but I don't like spiders. That's one thing I don't like. But I don't particularly fear them. People like spiders, people don't like snakes maybe, or things like that. Um, dark, darkness, all these things, whatever you might fear. Because the question then is, does that thing drive your life? Do you make decisions in your life based upon that fear? Because if we have ungodly fear, it can bring bondage and ruin in our life. And we see this again and again when people have got fears that just ruin them. They just overtake their life and they can't live normal life. But actually realising that godly, even in a sense that godly fear of electricity brings me life, the godly fear of fire uh, brings me life, um, if, I, if I interact with it rightly. But ultimately, all things need to come under God. And that's the key here. When we're talking about fear, all things need to come under God. And so let's turn to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 10. Because one thing we need to realise is that the fear of God isn't an Old Testament thing. And sometimes we can have this uh, feeling Old Testament God, bad God, scary God, judgmental God, New Testament God, warm, fuzzy God, lovely God, my best mate. But the reality is, it is the same God throughout history. There's one God. He is the same throughout history. And so we need to see his message. And in a sense, his message develops and how he interacts with us changes in respects, but he is the same. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, Verse 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I remember this verse as a young child and how I understood it as a teenager, when it said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So I thought, well, you know, that's man, isn't it? In which it is. These you know, people around us, those who, who might harm me, who might even kill me, but they can't kill what's deep inside. That's eternal. But he said, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, in my ignorance at that time, I actually thought that was the devil. Um, I actually thought, well, I need to fear the devil because he's the one who can destroy me in hell. But it's not the devil, it's God. Because the devil cannot destroy you. He doesn't have that authority. He can try but he doesn't have that authority. And it is God who reigns in hell, just to be clear on that as well. And so 
It's not it's saying basically, do not fear man and what they can do to you, but fear God, because God is ultimately over all things. And so the question is, who can impact your life the most? Because again, many people in here, if everyone suddenly chose to kind of jump on top of me and start pounding me and kill me, you know, there's probably not a lot I could do to resist that. But they can't take away my eternal life. They can't take away my soul. Whereas God is the one who would do that. And so we need to realise it is God who can impact our life the most. And we see this throughout, his, throughout the history of the scriptures. So just some examples. You have Joseph. And if you know Joseph, his brothers uh, dealt really badly with him. But when he came, his time for retaliation, he said, I won't retaliate because I fear God. Um, in the time when Moses was born, the, the midwives were supposed to kill the infants, but they didn't because they feared God. Consequently, Pharaoh, who was in charge of the nation, didn't fear God and didn't listen to the warnings. When Moses was appointing leaders, he looked for those who feared God and wouldn't take a bribe. And in Leviticus, it talks about fear leading to the care, the fear of God leading to the care of the disabled and the elderly. And so you see in these situations, it is actually the fear of God and belief that, you know, God is above these things. And I don't know if you remember, I think I've shared this story before, but once I had a job interview and they said, what is your motivation in your job? And I, I told them, which was a bit weird, I said, um, my my aim is to please God. I work for the Lord. Um, and they did gave, me, gave me the job, so that was good. Um, but in that moment, what that boils down to is, I fear God more than I fear you. I'm not going to do this because I fear you. And I feel that even for my job today, my fear is not what my employer might do to me or what people might think of me. My fear is, am I pleasing to God. And maybe, again, we don't like that word fear. But ultimately, I'm saying, God, I'm more concerned about you. I'm more concerned about what you can do or what you think. And through this, we must recognise who God is and who he isn't. Because, again, our fear is based on these things. So God is the creator of all things. And if you read the account of God with Job... God kind of needed to remind him of these things. Hey, Job, I think you might have forgotten. Were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I, I, I did all these things? He is the creator of all things. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. But equally, he is all-loving and all-merciful. He is all-holy and all-righteous. And I don't know how he does it, but God seems to manage to balance all of these different attributes in, in who he is, which is why he is holy. He is unique. And so God is these things, which means, again, God won't let us down. God won't uh, flip as people might do. He won't deviate. He won't turn. He won't be persuaded or manipulated by others. And so we can trust in him. And I wonder what you would do right now if you were standing before God. Take a moment. How would you feel right now if you were standing before God? Some people seem to think they can argue with God. 
you know, well, when I get before God, I'm going to tell him a thing or two, or I'm going to ask him a few questions, and I'm going to get this sorted out, or when they're going to argue their case. But the reality is, whenever you see this in Scripture, anyone who stands anywhere near God does nothing of that, that kind. They fall down on their face. They, they are filled with awe or fear of God. You look at Moses and God would say, no, no, you take off your sandals to come to me. He had to, because this was on holy ground. You think about Isaiah, when he, was, he had a call, he's like, Who can, I can't do this, I'm a man of unclean lips, amongst a people of unclean lips. John, in the book of Revelation, it says that he fell down on his face before God, and I believe that is the natural response that actually when we encounter God, we don't stand there all proud, and, but we fall down on our face before him. And we are called to humble ourselves and turn from our sin and repent. And what this does, it puts things in perspective. We need to have a right perspective of who God is and who we are. Because God is God Almighty. God, in a moment, could snuff any of us out. You know, he holds your life in his hands. Your breath is dependent on him. The spinning of this earth is dependent on him. Everything is in his hands and he holds it and he could remove it at any point. And this is the thing. People think they can come to God as they want. And I think we, we risk, particularly in this day, being in a place where we think, you know, I can just come to God as I want and do as I want. But I want to read you a few verses. The first one is in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And again, the person who thinks they can come before God and just say, look here, God, and they, they're going to put it in their own way, they're going to argue their own case, he's saying, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. There are consequences to our actions. And then further on in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 31, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But the question is, who is this fearful for? And it talks earlier about those who continue in willful sin against God. And so if you are in a place this morning of willful sin against God, you should be in a fearful place because you are going against the living God. Now, God is loving, God is kind, yes. But there is a consequence to our disobedience to him. Even to the point where it says, let me just find this, He talks about the consequence of disobeying the law, but then in verse 29 he says, how much, more how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? I don't want to come and just put the fear of God in you in a sense. I don't want to be like God is this kind of angry God but the reality is if we turn our heart against God for those who are not his 
If we're living in disobedience, we are under the, the judgment of God. We are under the consequences of our sin. And God is not mocked. And there are consequences. There are things that will happen. And I think the risk is that we can think we're impervious to, to these consequences. And so I encourage you to remember who God is. God is holy. God is righteous. He is not mocked. We cannot just think we can do what we want and come as we will. And we read that even in one of the parables that Jesus told of the wedding banquet where everyone came and they were given a wedding garment to come into the, the feast. But someone, for some reason, said, oh, I'm not going to wear that. I'm going to come as I am, in a sense. And he was rejected and kicked out of, of the wedding feast. And I think there's this real picture that Yes, there is a calling to us this morning to come to God. But we first need to come humbly before him. Now you might say, well, what about love? Because there's a verse in the book of 1 John, chapter 4. And I read it, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And amen to that. Amen. Perfect love casts out all fear. You know? But there's a, a prelude to this. There's something that comes before that. And what comes before that is that the love of God is shed abroad to us when we abide in him and he abides in us. That has to come first before we can experience perfect love. We won't experience perfect love, and so we won't experience the eradication of fear until we, per we abide in him and he abides in us. And how do we abide in him? By humbly coming and repenting. But we can't come and abide in him if we're carrying sin with us. But the, this is when we sin, we repent. And obviously it says that in 1 John as well, that we repent and we're cleansed from all sin. We're washed clean and we can abide in him. And so we need to realise that if we're living disobediently, we are outside of that place of abiding and we're outside of that place really of perfect love and therefore fear still has an impact in our life and we should fear God. I believe there are some of us who need to move from fear into love. There are some who probably never leave fear and never get to love, and they do just see God as an angry God who is constantly on their case, constantly going to judge them. And I would encourage you, if, that's your, of your, if that is you this morning, that you do come in repentance. You humble yourself and receive that grace from him and abide in him and let him minister his love to you. But there are also some who have become complacent in God's, with God's love. And I often fear that I fall into that category, that I know God is my, my father. I know he loves me. I know he is for me. All of these wonderful things that are true, but sometimes I can lack that fear um, of, of sin, of consequence, and I think it's important this morning that we remember that as well, that we cannot mock God. God is holy, God is righteous, and we need to come to him. So I just want to finish there, but just close in prayer and just ask that God would 
give us that right fear. And again, if you've got an, a, a negative view of the fear of God this morning, I'm going to ask that God will just renew your mind. Because again, if you read those verses in Proverbs, God is saying that the fear of God is a positive thing because it will lead you into life. The fear of God will lead you to humility, to repentance, to abiding and to love. And so it's a positive thing because of where it leads us. But if you are against God this morning, if you're hiding things from God, if you're in sin this morning, if you're running from him, then I encourage you to, to, to realise that God is not mocked and we need to repent this morning and come to him. So let's spend that a moment in prayer. Lord God, I want to confess the truth of your word this morning. Lord, and I, I confess that sometimes this idea of fearing you seems contradictory to the love that you, you have for me. But I confess this morning that it is life because the fear of God will lead me into that place of humility, of right perspective, of repentance, of abiding, of love. Lord, we confess this morning that you are Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and our life is in your hands. And we can trust you, though, as well, because you do love us. And I come and give my life into your hands this morning, Lord God, willingly, because there's no place I would rather be. I pray for anyone, Lord God, who is overcome by fear this morning, fear of things that are not of you. And Lord, may we come and place those at your feet this morning and say, God, will you be the only one that we fear because you are the one who holds our life in your hands. May you come and renew our minds, particularly of those things that are, are lies that the enemy is using to deceive us and to bring us into bondage. We come and pray that those are broken now in the name of Jesus and that you would release us from all of those fears, Lord God, that lead to death and that you would lead us to yourself, Lord God, that we would be led to life in you. Lord, and if there's any sin in us this morning, may we just repent of that now, Lord God, knowing that you are not mocked. Lord God, and we don't want to abuse the grace that you have given to us, Lord God, but to live in it and to rejoice in it and to have the life that comes through you from it. Amen. Maybe it feels a bit sombre in a sense, and I think it's right that this is a sombre subject, but equally it is a subject that we can praise God for and thank him because, again, through this, we receive life. So I don't know if the band want to come up and we're going to just finish in worship. Because again, I just, I, I just thank God that it's a wonderful thing that I can, I can come to him and he has made a way for us to come to him rightly.